spiritual idea. Heaven is not a mystical thing that you inhabit spiritually or mentally or soulishly only. Heaven is a real place, an actual location. Heaven is a real place, an actual location. Where is it? Relatively close, I think. Now, in a minute, not yet, in a minute, I'm going to show you a video. And this video is not theology. It, the Bible doesn't say that this video is where heaven is. But for the sake of imagination, and imagination is important in the life of a Christian. For the sake of imagination, I just want you to consider it. It's, it's highly speculative, but it's possible. Uh, pl play my video. Now, this, we didn't make this. This is from NASA. And um, it's viewing uh, the constellation Orion and the closest black hole to Earth. Now, uh, keep going, keep going, keep going. All right, now pause it if you can. Or pause it. Yeah, that's good. This uh, black hole has uh, been named, and you can Google this if you want to see it. You can Google it's Hole in the Sky NASA video. Hole in the Sky NASA video. But the, the team at NASA nicknamed this black hole Heaven's Door. Uh, reason why is because there's immense light coming out of the black hole that they cannot explain. They know it's not the sun, because it couldn't be, and they don't know what the source of the light is. It's not the gases of the stars. It's just a beaming light coming out of this black hole in Orion's belt, the constellation. To give you an idea of the size of it, and this blessed me because a lot of times when I imagine heaven and I think about heaven, heaven has to be huge in scope uh, to, to hold all of the people that have ever uh, been righteous and served God and believed in Jesus and, and, and those kind of things. It has got to be huge. Trillions and trillions and trillions of people. Well, this, um, let's start like this. The sun, in science class you learned this. Uh, the sun is 333,000 times the mass of the earth. You knew that, right? It's not amazing when you say it too fast. The sun is 333,000 times the mass of the earth. What's that mean? 1.3 million, 1 million 300,000 earths could fit inside the sun. Well, that heaven's door black hole I showed you, it's a hundred times the mass of the sun, which means 130 million earths could fit inside that black hole. Now, I'm not saying that's where heaven is. I just want your mind to gear in and key into the idea, wherever it is, whether it's there or somewhere else, it's a place. It's a location. The scripture talks about 
gates in heaven and streets in heaven and oceans in heaven. It, it talks about citizens in heaven. It is a real place. Now, let's talk about dominion. Take me to Luke chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. And this will be the only scripture that I use the NIV for, uh, for you guys upstairs. Luke chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. By the way, I'm continuing last week's message. I started um, DNA of dominion. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority, authority is another word for dominion, all this authority I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered. The word delivered means given over. This has been delivered to me, and I give it to whoever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, all will be yours. I want you to notice that Jesus does not correct the devil when the devil says, you see all of the kingdoms and the powers of this created world? Well, I have the dominion over it all. And Jesus doesn't correct him because the devil was right. Now, who gave all that dominion and authority to the devil? Adam and Eve. You remember from last week? So, the devil had all of the dominion and all of the authority from the time of Adam and Eve's fall all the way up to the day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I know he lost it the day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because look at Matthew 28, 18. This is what Jesus said after the resurrection to his disciples. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority or dominion, all authority has been given to me in heaven, that's obvious, and on earth. Okay. Before the resurrection, Satan had the dominion. After the resurrection, Jesus has all of the dominion. So the question for the day is, what happened on resurrection morning that allowed Jesus to take all the dominion? I want you to sit with that. I want you to probe your mind and ask that to your heart and your spirit. What happened on resurrection morning specifically that caused Jesus to have all of the dominion? Before we answer that, let's look at a few things. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. If you ain't read your Bible all month, today we'll catch you up. Jesus is speaking to his disciples right before he goes to the cross. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, where is his father's house? Heaven. In my father's house are many mansions. If 
it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Look at that again. I go to prepare a place for you. Just one more time. I, I go, I gotta go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now, let me tell you what this is not. A lot of people have thought and taught and preached or received this passage of scripture and took it to mean that Jesus was talking about his ultimate ascension, his last ascension, where 40 days after the cross, he gathered his disciples at the outskirts of the city and he blessed them and then he ascended up into heaven and was received in the clouds and then an angel came and said he's coming back in like manner and so they think when he says I go to prepare a place for you uh, the way this has been classically taught in charismatic and Pentecostal circles and in many other denomination circles uh, the way it's been taught is that Jesus is going up to build some more mansions for everybody that gets saved he's got a saw and a hammer and a tool belt and he's going to, every time someone comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, Jesus is going to prepare another man. That is not what he's saying. He's not talking about the ascension or the second coming at all. I want you to know as a believer, Jesus went from the earth back up to heaven, back to the earth more than once. He was doing something. So, so what, what's the... What's the meat of that sentence? What's the meat of that text? The meat of the text is, I got to go away to prepare a place for you. What's the inference of that? If I have to go in order for a place to be prepared for you, it must mean right now there's no place for you. There's no place for you to access heaven. There's no place, no room for you to access a relationship with God the Father. There's no way it can happen for you in the state that you're in. So what I have to do is I have to go and prepare a place for you, and then I'll be right back. Now, through the rest, this is all happening around the, the dinner table, the Passover dinner. And through the rest of the meal, you can find it in John 14, the rest of the meal, Jesus alludes over and over again, I have to be betrayed. I have to suffer, have to die on the cross, have to go to the Father to prepare a place for you, but I'm coming right back. Now look at John, that, that same uh, chapter, go down to verse 28, John 14, 28 through 31. Look at what he says. John 14, 28 through 31. You have heard me say, so he's telling them again, I mean, he's been telling them all dinner long. He tells them again because he knows their propensity to freak out. God knows your propensity to freak out and lose it. He can tell you it's going to be okay. 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 Send his words, send prophecies, send his presence, send it, send it, send it. And then the trouble comes and what happens? You freak out like he hadn't already told you a hundred times how it's going to turn out. And so Jesus knows that about us. He knows this about the disciples. 
So he's telling them again, you have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to the father. My father is greater than I. And now I have told, look at the degrees he is going through to fully prepare them for his brief departure. Now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. Now this next verse is interesting. I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. The ruler of this world, the one that has the dominion. Jesus said, we're going to have to shut this dinner down because right about now, the one who holds all of the dominion of this world is coming after me, but, but he has nothing in me. The Greek in that is he has no anchor, no point of pull in me. And, uh, and then at the end of it, he says, uh, as the, uh, the world that the world may know that I love the father. And as the father gave me command it, so I do. Then he says, arise, let us go from here. Let's, let's shut the dinner down. Okay. So uh, let's kick a dead horse as I'm uh, prone to do. John 16, 16. This is the same dinner just told through another gospel account. The, so j just look, look at that. Jesus says, a little while. Everybody say a little while. So he can't be talking about the second coming because the second coming from the time of the disciples to all the way up now, it, it, that's not a little while. Jesus said, a little while and you will not see me. And again, in a little while, you will see me because I go to the father. How do I know for sure theologically he's not talking about the second coming because he promised they would see him come back. Uh, if you didn't know, Peter, the apostle, he's dead. Thomas, he's dead. John, he's dead. Matthew, he's dead. They're all dead. They can't see his second coming. Okay, They're dead in the earth, alive in heaven with the Father. They can't see it. But in this instance, how I know he's not talking about second coming is he said, you're going to see me. So I'm going to go away a little while. Let me, let me translate that. A few days. I'm going to leave you. Go away for a few days. Notice the tender parental care Jesus is giving them. Almost like a father that's got to go on a trip and he knows his children are going to be worried while he's gone. He's just, hey, listen, a few days. Give me a few days and I'll be right back. A little while you will not see me because I go to the father. Okay, I go to the father. I got to go do something. There's something I have to go do in order to prepare a place for you. Everybody say a place. Now, look at John 20, verse 1. Now, I want you to key in with me. I know it's a lot. I meant it to be. I want you to key in with me, though, because in 2022, going into 2023, the scourge of the church is not immorality. The scourge of the church is ignorant believers. Okay. People that cannot explain to you why they are saved. They'll, they'll give you the, the basic version. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And that's good. That's, that's strong. But until you dig down into the 
depths of your salvation. You can only believe for what you understand in, in the scripture, in the scripture, in the scripture. You can only believe for what you can understand in the scripture. Now, Abraham believed for a child when he was past childbearing, but only because the word of God had said it to him and made him understand it. You can't believe for anything that God hasn't said. I'm going to say that again. You cannot believe for anything God has not said. What gives you the capacity to stand in faith for something is that God said it. But you cannot believe in something that you haven't heard about and understood correctly. So we need to understand the dynamics and the schematics of our salvation. Look at resurrection morning. Look what happened resurrection morning. John chapter 20 verse 1. On the first day of the week, that's Sunday, resurrection Sunday. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Take me to verse 11, please. John 20, verse 11. Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Now, just pause. This is an earthly picture of a heavenly reality. Because in heaven, there is an ark of the covenant in God's courtroom. And on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, there are two angels, one at the head of the mercy seat and one at the feet of it. And in the middle of the Ark of the Covenant on the mercy seat was where the sacrifice would always be placed. Just interesting for you to know. The angel said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And did not know that it was Jesus. Mary Magdalene was one of three women that followed Jesus most of his ministry. His ministry spanned three and a half years. She followed him three years every day. She loved Jesus. She offered precious and costly sacrifices to Jesus. Because she was Mary Magdalene from the island of Magdala. She was a prostitute. She sold her body to pay her rent. She sold her body to pay for the lives of other people in her family to support them. Can you imagine the degradation and the guilt and the shame that she carried as a human being? And one day while Jesus was walking by, the scripture says he cast seven devils out of her. Evil spirits that had been tormenting her and causing her to have thoughts of killing herself and hurting herself. And, and totally destroying her self-esteem and her outlook and paradigm on life. In one moment, Jesus walked by and cast seven devils clean out of her and changed her life. He was the most important 
person in her life. She spent three years every day with him, serving his ministry team, helping him in his travels, giving and sacrificing uh, financially into his ministry. He was everything to her, and she doesn't recognize him. When somebody's important to you, all the people that are important to me, I can close my eyes and tell you exactly what they look like. But she doesn't recognize him. Ask yourself why. Verse 15. John 20, 15. I'm sorry, y'all. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I'll take him away. She sees someone at the tomb she doesn't recognize. She's arrived there right after, minutes after Jesus rose bodily from the dead. She, uh, she looks at this man she doesn't recognize and and based off outward appearance, she assumes he's a gardener. What's the theological component of that? Well, have you ever seen a gardener while they're working? They have a, a, a characteristic. They're filthy. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm saying because you're working in the dirt, you get, you get dirty. You get filthy. And she looks at him, and of all of the things she could have assumed that he was, because he was so filthy, she said, oh, you must be, you must be the gardener. I bet he was dirty. Because he had all of my sins that I've ever committed or ever will commit all over him. All of your sins that you've ever committed or ever will commit. He had it all over. You know, sin will change your appearance. You don't believe me. Listen, I had a family member passed away. I had a family member that was addicted to crystal methamphetamine. Let me tell you something about crystal methamphetamine and that addiction. It'll change your face. It, it got to the point I could barely recognize my own blood. Because that thing disfigured. You ever seen somebody you used to go to high school with or you used to know years ago, and they've just been struggling, having a hard time, and you look at them, and because of all that's on them, because of all they've been through, it's, it's come out on their face. It's aged them prematurely. It's, it's put deep wrinkles in them. It's, it's caused them to, to walk different, to talk different, to hardly even recognize them. I guess she didn't recognize Jesus standing there with the weight 
of murderers and rapists and people that have had abortions and standing there with the weight of liars and cheaters and, and thieves and whoremongers with, with the weight of all of our addictions and all of our secrets and all of our shame and all of our lies and all of our stress and all of the things that we carry around that we can't tell anybody about. He had all of that on him. I guess he did look different. When I start thinking about the weight of the lifetime, I'm only about to be 40 years old, but when I start thinking about the weight of my current lifetime of all of my sin on Jesus, I know I had to add to the disfigurement of his appearance. I, I, I know there's a lot of perfect people in the room, but there's a few people in the room that you know that, that what you did added to the disfigurement of his appearance. That, that there's, there's stuff we have done and there's stuff I to tell you that we will do that, that added to the disfigurement of his appearance on that day. I guess she didn't recognize Savior covered in sin and full of it. I said covered in it and full of it. To make no mistake, Jesus never committed a sin. But he took on and in himself every sin that has ever been committed. Second Corinthians 5 21 says God made him that knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God by faith in him. I guess she didn't recognize him. He rises early in the morning. She arrives minutes or perhaps seconds later doesn't recognize him, verse 16, until he says, Mary. And when she looks back, he still don't look like the Jesus she remembered, but she instantly knew it was him because the scripture says, my sheep. Verse 17. Well, when she realizes it's him, what's the natural reaction? She, she, she had buried him. She runs, wants to grab him and give him a hug. Jesus said to her, do not cling to, don't touch me. It's resurrection morning, okay? Don't, don't touch me. He only been up a few minutes, possibly a few seconds. Don't touch me. For I have not, wait, you missed a word. I have not yet ascended to my father. You don't leave out those yets. Okay. You can build an entire precept on yet. I have not yet. So, so he's not saying that post-resurrection Jesus is a spirit being that has flesh you cannot touch. He's not saying that. He's not saying that you're going to contaminate in some way the resurrection. The resurrection was already done. He was saying... I've got to go do something and I can't have you grab me until I, I go do something. I got something important to do. And, and later, later in a couple of chapters, he'll tell the disciples to touch him. He'll tell Thomas, put your hands in the nail prints in my hands and feet and stick your dirty hand in my side. He's not saying don't touch me. He's saying don't touch me. 
That's something I got to do. That's something I got to do. And uh, I want you to, uh, but don't, don't cling to me. I have not yet sent it to my father. Um, folks, look at this. Go to my brethren, the disciples, and uh, say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father and my God and your God, and, and I'll, I'll be right back. He's telling them again. Just for their comfort. Just tell them again. Okay, I'm going to go up to my father real quick. I'm going to handle something. And then I'm going to be right back. Now, verse 19. Then the same day at evening. Jesus always does what he says he's going to do. The same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst, said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands, okay, and his side, and the disciples were glad to see the Lord. So watch. That's resurrection evening. Mary sees him resurrection morning. Don't touch me, honey. I got to go see my father real quick. Tell my disciples I'm going to the father real quick. I'll be right back. And by the evening, he was back. But he did something in heaven with the father all day long. Morning, he's with Mary. Evening, he's with the disciples. But all day, he was doing something in heaven. What was he doing? Hebrews chapter 9, 11 and 12. We're going to get fragments of it, of what he was doing from different scriptures. But you need to know this. Hebrews chapter 9, 11 and 12. I know I'm throwing a lot at you, and that system's probably getting bogged down. Y'all take your time. Everything's okay up there. But Christ came as high priest. Wait, high priest where? Not on earth, because in earth, he was not the high priest. In earth, he was the sacrifice. He was the lamb. He was the offering. So when Christ came as high priest, where is he high priest? Oh, in heaven. When Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with human hands, where's the greater and more perfect tabernacle? In heaven. The one not made with human hands. Christ came, not, it's not of this creation, and it says, not with the blood of goats and calves. But with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. What was he doing all day? Well, part of it was he died and shed the blood on earth. 
Then he took his own blood and changed roles because on earth he was the offering, but in heaven he became the offerer. So he ascended into heaven to see his father that he might pour out as an offering on heaven's mercy seat what he offered on earth's cross. That was part of what he was doing all day. And the moment the blood of Jesus hit the mercy seat in heaven, the scripture says that the dominion of sin was broken over every person that would ever have faith in Jesus Christ and the blood he shed. Even if you are still struggling with sin, capture this revelation, even if you're still struggling with sin, even if you sinned on the way in here this morning, even in your struggle, you are struggling from a place and position of dominion because the moment the blood of Jesus hit the mercy seat in heaven, sin didn't go away, but the dominion and power it holds over the believer went away and the punishment and the wages of it went away because the punishment was laid on Jesus. The wages were paid by Jesus when the blood hit the mercy seat. Sin lost its dominion. Romans chapter 6 verse 14. Romans chapter 6 verse 14. Give God a praise that sin lost its dominion. Romans chapter 6 verse 14. But you can't just say sin lost its dominion. Show me in the Bible. Romans 6, 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Romans 6, 17. But, th but God be thanked. Another translation said, thanks be God. I kind of like that better. Thanks be God. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, how are we slaves of sin? I told you last week, by nature, born into it. No one had to teach us how to do it. We were slaves to sin by nature. Though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. I'm going to read that again. you got to get it in your spirit. You were slaves to sin, but you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. So we need to know what is that doctrine that delivered us. Well, it starts in Romans 10, 9 through 11, where he says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus in faith shall be saved. Doesn't matter what they're guilty of. Doesn't matter what they have done. Doesn't matter if they were abused or if they were the abuser. It does not matter what their past looks like, though you may be dark and stained in sin. His blood will wash you white as snow. That is the 
doctrine that delivered you. What is that doctrine? Acts 2, 38. Peter, what do we need to do to be saved? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of the one that died, in the name of the one that shed his blood, in the name of the one that offered it on the mercy seat, in that name, be baptized and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This promise is for all of you here and all who are far off and all of your children and as many as the Lord our God will call. That doctrine that delivered you and so he introduces this idea, Peter does, and it's brilliant theologically, because he introduces the idea, you ain't got to follow the law of Moses anymore to be accepted by God. You don't have to follow a list of morals anymore to be accepted by God. You know why? Because there is still wet blood on the mercy seat that never coagulated, never tried out, never lost its power. It's why I started the sermon by telling you heaven is a real place. This is not a spiritual idea. It's a physical one. Heaven is a tangible place. Jesus was a real person recorded in real history. Agnostic history says he was a person. He was a real person that died on a real cross and shed real blood in this real place, the earth. Then carried, because he is God in the flesh, carried that blood he shed from this place up to another real place. And as amazing as it is and as hard as it may be to grasp, this morning at 1134 in heaven, in that real place, there's still the wet blood of Jesus on the mercy seat in heaven. It has never lost its power and it never will. And that wet blood in that real place is the reason you have a right to be a child of God. And furthermore, it's the reason you have a right to begin to claim the dominion of the kingdom of God in every area of of your life oh give him praise how how powerful was this what did he do the three days he was dead in the tomb Ephesians 4 tells us Ephesians 4 8 and 9 Ephesians 4, 9, therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. Holler, captivity captive. And he gave gifts to men. Now, this he ascended. What does it mean? Or what good is it? What good would it have been for him to die on the cross? Everybody just focuses on that. That's powerful. It's beautiful. But why stop there? Engage your mind in your depth. Paul said, so what if he died and, and ascended unless he first descended? 
into the lower, not the lower part of the earth, the lower parts of the earth. I've taught you before. The underworld was created by God with two chambers, two levels. One of them was called Sheol. That's place of torment. That's where the fire is never quenched. That's where souls in no relationship with God end up. Then there's another chamber in the same area called paradise. Paradise is not heaven. It's in the underworld, in the lower parts of the earth. Now, Paul says, when Jesus died, what good would it have been for him just to go up unless first he went down to the lower parts of the earth? Because he had two responsibilities. He went down to torment first, to Sheol. And there he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Why? To make good on the promises God made the Old Testament saints. Abraham was a righteous man, but there was sin all in his life. Isaac was a righteous man, but there was sin all in his life. Jacob was a little less righteous than the former two, but, but, but there was sin all in his life. Joseph was a righteous man, but there was still sin all in his life. David was the man after God's own heart, a righteous man, but there was sin all in his life. He got a woman pregnant and then lied to her husband, and when he couldn't make the lie work, he had her husband murdered. Da David was a righteous man, but there was sin all in his life. And, and every Old Testament saint that had walked with God and received promises from God, deep as they had it with God, they were not allowed to enter heaven because the presence of sin still had dominion. Because a man had given it to Satan, it was going to affect every man. So not only could Satan kill them, death, not only could he imprison them in paradise, not in heaven, that's, that's the grave, okay? And not only did he rule all of this from hell, okay. he's got all of God's kids from the Old Testament locked in what amounts to a very, very, very nice prison. Not in torment, but not free. So Jesus goes to the lowest part, place of torment, and takes the keys, death, hell, and the grave, then starts ascending, and he visits the second part, paradise, and he starts preaching to all of the Old Testament saints, hey, Abraham, I am your redeemer. I am the resurrection 
a power that hit your body in Sarah's womb that caused you to be able to have a child. He started preaching to Noah, I am the reality of what the ark that saved you was just a type. He started preaching to Ezekiel, I'm the wheel in the middle of a wheel that you never could explain when you saw it. He started preaching to David, I am the stone that the builders rejected that caused your slingshot to bring a giant down. He started preaching to all of the Old Testament saints the reality of him and his gospel. And the doors opened. Why does Paul say what good of it would have been if he just died on the cross and went straight up? Because it would have made God a liar. God promised the Old Testament saints that they had an eternal redemption. So Jesus was there to make good on the promise the Father made and prove God is not a man that he should lie. If he makes you a promise, he will make it good. It may take a little time. It may not look like it's going to work out, but if God said it, oh, I feel like preaching. I said, if God said it, go down there Give me those keys. Takes them away from Satan. Goes to paradise. Unlocks the Old Testament saints. Now he's, he starts the process of ascending. But before he ascends all the way into heaven, he stops by the tomb to talk to Mary. He's reached back to the Old Testament saints of the past. But he's also reaching forward for his kids now. He's worried about his disciples. Can you imagine? He's coming up with all of the Old Testament saints, and he looks back and he says, hold on one second, y'all. I'm worried about my guys. I'm going to stop by the tomb and tell Mary to go Go tell him it's going to be okay. I got to go up real quick and, and I'll be back. And he tells it to Mary because if you really want something done right, get a woman. Oh, give him praise in the house right now. You don't, you don't believe me about all that I just said. So Matthew 27, 52 and 53. It ain't nothing if ain't in the word. Do you hear what I said? It ain't nothing if it ain't in the Word. Matthew 27, 52, 53. And it's so good, we'll wait on it. Uh, can you take me back one verse? 51. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two, top, bottom, earthquake, rock was split. Next verse. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves 
after his resurrection and they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Holy, holy city is not heaven, it's Jerusalem. You understand what happened, don't you? He's coming up after he's leading captivity captive. He's coming up leading them on the ascension. He said, I got to stop talk to Mary real quick. Y'all hang out here. And so they started walking around their old city they used to live in. I grew up on this street. I got a Starbucks here now. What in the world? Freaking everybody out. Dead men walking all over the streets, waiting on Jesus to get through talking to Mary so he could take them the rest of the way up. Church folks, if that don't make you shout hallelujah, glory to God, you got the wrong emphasis. Now, is we have detailed Detailed, clear explanation of what was happening on earth during the crucifixion and resurrection. What we don't hear taught about, at least from the scripture line by line, is what was happening in heaven the day of the resurrection. You'll find it. God only let one person see it. I'll, I'll, I'll work this for you. I can't work it like I want to because I'm dealing with all kind of stuff. But, but just, just trust me. This is beautiful. God only let one castrated prophet in the Old Testament see what was going to happen to his only begotten son, Jesus, on the day of the resurrection. Daniel had been, his country had been sieged by the Babylonians. His parents were killed in front of him because he was a child of royalty and they wanted to assume power. So they killed the king and they killed the queen. And then they took Daniel. He was a prince. He was destined for great things and they ripped him away from his palace. They put him into chains and then to make sure he was docile, they cut off his manhood. And Daniel suffered greatly and yet never accused God foolishly. He never spoke a word against his God. And because of the suffering of Daniel and the tears of Daniel and the pain of Daniel and the agony of Daniel, God allowed him to see something that no other human being had ever seen or would ever see. God said, Dan, I'm going to take you up in a vision to heaven's courtroom and I'm going to let you see in detail things you're not going to fully understand but I'm going to let you see it because it's my gift to you and the greatest gift God can give a believer is a deeper revelation and understanding of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ I said the greatest thing God can give to a believer is not a blessing it's not a new car it's not a check in the mail the greatest thing God can give to a believer is not healing in your body or deliverance for your children the greatest thing God can give a believer is a deep ever deepening understanding of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Dan, I'm going to give you my greatest gift. So Daniel starts this vision 
and, and he writes, I don't have time to read it all, but he writes and says this vision terrified him because he was seeing mysteries that he could not explain. The Bible says in our text that I read you 48 minutes ago in Daniel 7, Verse seven, after this, I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast. God showed him four beasts, four beasts, four beasts. Their names are Satan, the false prophet, the Antichrist and sin itself. The first three are what make up the unholy trinity. Satan cannot create anything. Satan is not the originator of anything. He can only copy what he saw his maker do. So because God in his nature is triune, three in one, father, son, and spirit, Satan has formed a triune nature for his kingdom, which is Satan himself, the devil. It is the false prophet. False prophecy is always satanic. If it's true false prophecy, it's always satanic. If it's manipulation, it is always satanic. Manipulation is one of the nine gifts of the false prophet. Oh my God. And, and so, and, and so you got Satan, you got the false prophet, and then you got the antichrist. Okay. And then adding to them is sin itself, the beast of sin itself. And Daniel saw it. And the scripture says, Fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong, had huge iron teeth. It was devouring and breaking in pieces and then trampling the residue with its feet. That is a description of what sin does. It doesn't just devour. After it devours, it breaks into pieces. And then anything that's left it just stomps the residue. Sin will take you all the way down, break you, destroy you, and then stomp out any semblance of what's left. And he was afraid of it. And he said it was different from all the beasts that were before it. Why? Because the only power Satan had, as bad as he is, the only power he had over mankind was sin. Sin was the gateway to all of his dominion over us before Jesus. And the scripture says he's seeing it and he's, he's grasping it. He's going to use some words here, but understand he's seeing some things prophetically and spiritually, and he's using words that he does understand that he is familiar with to try to explain things he can't understand that he's not familiar with. He said this beast had 10 horns. Verse eight, I was considering the horns and there was another horn, a little one coming up among them before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. This is the accuser of the brethren. Because not only will sin pleasure you, it'll turn around and cause you pain, and it'll turn around and put guilt and accusation on you. And the Bible says, verse 9, and I watched. I was looking at this beast, and I watched. 
till thrones were put in place. Let me help you understand what's happening. They're setting up a courtroom. The beast is there. And, and then all of a sudden, thrones were put in place. Large seats of judgment. Thrones were put in place. And the ancient of days, that's one of the oldest words for God Almighty, God the Father of all. Another way to refer to him is the ancient of days. And there is still a unique power on those words. When you say the ancient of days out of your mouth, you can feel something because it's one of his oldest names. The ancient of days was seated. So the judge has come into the courtroom. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued, came forth from before him. And, and thousands, a, a thousand thousands, a thousand thousands ministered to him. Because God doesn't go anywhere in heaven without praise constantly. God breathes in, inhales praise and exhales revelation. He inhales praise. He exhales revelation. That's why whenever you're confused and you do not know what to do, the answer always is praise because God inhales praise and then will exhale revelation. Thousand thousands ministered to him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. This is the inhabitants and citizens of heaven standing before God. And the scripture goes on to say, most important thing about this, the court. It's like, all rise and be seated. This is what he is seeing. The court was seated and the books were open. And I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. So the prosecuting attorney comes in, sin itself, saying, I've had relations with all of them. I've had my dealings with all of them. I've had my hooks into all of them. And he was talking real big and real bad. But then Daniel said, and I watched till the beast was slain. Oh, church folks. I watched till the beast was slain, not wounded. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Now, as for the rest of the beast, Satan, false prophet, antichrist, they had their, their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season. Now, what caused all this? He tells you the next one. I was watching in the night visions and behold one like the son of man. That's Jesus coming with the. Cumulus clouds. White fluffy clouds. Hebrews 11 gives the hall of fame of the Old Testament believers and their faith. It lists all of them. And then Hebrews 12 starts like this. And seeing as we are compassed, surrounded 
by such a great cloud of witnesses. When Daniel sees him coming with the clouds, he's coming up with all of the Old Testament saints after he led captivity captive. In other words, Daniel is seeing the ascension of Christ from the earth into heaven with all the Old Testament behind him. Go back to uh, Daniel 7. I saw him coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days. In other words, the son came to the father. This is what he was telling the disciples during the Passover meal. He had to go do. I got to go and prepare a place for you. So it says, uh, I saw him coming in the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him, to Jesus, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be We give you praise, Jesus. We give you praise, Jesus. We give you praise, Jesus. I don't want to miss that moment of revelation to stop and say how great thou art. We give you praise, Jesus. We give you praise, Jesus. Daniel 7, 21, he goes back to encapsulate and give a and give a, a synopsis of what he saw happen. He said, I was watching and that same horn that was talking crazy in heaven, that same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. They had the Ten Commandments, but it was still prevailing against them. They had the law of Moses, but it was prevailing against them. They had the Old Testament sacrifice system and the blood of bullocks and goats, but it was prevailing against them. They had a cloud following them by day and a pillar fire of night, but it was still prevailing against them. They walked through the Red Sea as on dry shod, but it was still prevailing against them. Manna came down out of heaven in the morning and quail blew in in the evening. A rock followed them and gave them water, but sin was still prevailing against them. It was prevailing against them, verse 22, until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to be saved. accept Jesus in my heart and please forgive me of my sins to go to church, get a little title and a position, stay there 30 years and do nothing. When the ancient of days saw the blood of his son poured out in his courtroom on the mercy seat, He took that beast that was destroying everything 
I'm sorry. I can't tell him like you showed me. I'm sorry. God the Father was the one that destroyed sin. God the judge was the one that sentenced sin, that beast, to be broken in pieces. What authorized him to release that kind of power to do it was the blood of his only son, Jesus, that was offered in a real place in heaven. When he saw that, he destroyed the beast. He looked at the other three, stripped them of all of their power. Listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. I will counsel you as long as I have breath. I'll be there for you if you're worried or you're concerned about something. But to all of you who ever get an idea to call me about somebody releasing a demonic curse over you. Someone called me yesterday about a demonic curse being released and like a voodoo thing with pins in it. And you're worried that this person has put a spell on you and sticking pins in this doll and torturing you and shutting down your life and the power of the devil. And they're using dark demon power that does not exist for a child of God. It may exist for people that don't belong to God, but for a child of God, all of the dominion of sin and all of the dominion of the devil, the antichrist and the false prophet has been totally stripped away. Satan himself could walk in this room and there's not a thing he can do because from the top of my head to the sole of my feet, I am covered by the blood that broke his dominion. You think I'm playing with you when I tell you to lift up your communion cup over your head? You think it's just a tradition? No, this is why we are safe from his power. It's why we are safe from curses. It's why we are safe. Because when the judge saw the blood, he said, give everything to me. Give everything to me. I'm going to kill you, that beast of sin. You are the three. I'm going to leave you alive for a season because I'm going to make your evil work for my children's good. But I'm going to leave you alive. But give me all your dominion. The devil's been lying to you. The devil's been lying to you. He don't have a power over you. blood saved me. The blood protected me. The blood delivered me. And then saints referring to people that would look on what Jesus did and believe in it and have faith. He said, I tell you what, I've made a ruling of favor. heart's breaking because if you don't love this if you don't love this 
There may not be a root. I don't know. If you don't love this, I may not have done my job correctly. If you don't, if you don't love this, if this doesn't make the Spirit of God inside you begin to churn, there's something wrong. There's, there's repentance needed. There's something broken. There, there's something needs to be fixed. This, this, he said, I, I've made a ruling of favor. The blood saved me. Faith in the blood delivered me. The blood broke sin and killed the beast. And then the blood also favored me, which means God has decided to bless me and deal favorably with me, not because I am good, because I had faith in the blood that Jesus shed. And then number five, and he says, and I want you to possess the kingdom. I want you to reach out your hand and begin to take dominion that Jesus paid for. And you're begging for a blessing? dominion Jesus provided. Why don't I have it, preacher? How can they call on one they hadn't believed in? How can they believe in what they hadn't heard about? How can they hear without a preacher? How can he preach unless he's been sent by God? You have to hear the message of dominion in order to believe dominion, in order to take dominion. So in the name of Jesus Christ, may what I have laid carefully in layered fashion into the soil of your heart and into the garden of your spirit begin to grow and take root in you and produce the fruit of this message. I have scattered the seed. I have scattered the seed to the left, to the right, to the center, to the front, to the back. I have scattered the seed, Father. And now I pray, let the good ground emerge. Let the fertile soil emerge. Let there not be miscarriage of this revelation. Let there not be miscarriage of this doctrine. Let there not be miscarriage or misunderstanding of this truth. For this is the beauty of holiness. This is the radiance of glory. This is Jesus, what he did on earth and what he did in heaven. This is Jesus, what he died for, what he suffered for, what he bled for, and what he provided. This is Jesus. Glory to his name. I wish I had a worshiper. This is Jesus. I wish I had someone who could grasp it. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. By his stripes we are healed. By his nail. Oh, by his blood we're washed clean. But that's not all. What did the writer say? He said, the power of sin. Oh, he is 
hands lifted all over the house. Let's sing it together. Say. you're reverent and you were raised right, you won't leave until I'm finished ministering. I got business to do with the devil right now. I have been hit multiple times this week and I told God that all I wanted him to do was to give me an anointing to break the enemy's lies and his power over anybody in this room that is struggling. If you came in here bound up by something, bound up by an addiction, bound up by a lie, bound up by grief, bound up by anxiety and depression, bound up in your physical body, if you are in the room tied up in any way, come to this altar. I will lay hands on every single person that comes. I do not care how long it takes. Elders, come and help me. Y'all keep singing that. 